Welcome to Play Riot, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Q, I just, uh, I just moved over the weekend. I'm in a new recording location, so anything can happen. You know, I could sound entirely different. You know, I, everything is kind of up in the air. I'm still, maybe this new recording environment is going to do wonders for the sound. Maybe it's going to sound a whole lot worse. Like, it's my first recording in the new place. It's exciting. Have you gone as far as to put up any sort of uh, sound dampening panels around your setup? No, I've not done that. I don't think I really <laughs> need to do that. Yeah. You know, I always hear like professional podcasters and people that record YouTube videos, like they'll have those full studio setups or, or they'll go like record in the closet. Right. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I've... Uh, I've uh, I've never gone to that um to that length before and I uh, I don't I don't think it's necessary. I think my audio sounds all right. Yeah, I mean, uh, hey, listen, anytime I hear you, even now in real time, and of course you 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 know, you have a little extra tilt you do in the mix, but it it always sounded good to me. I I also th- I think the reason why I ask is I've got at one point maybe towards the beginning of us starting the show, I got a couple of these little sound absorbing panels and I've put mm. them up just because my my desk is in a corner and I'm worried that touching two walls that one of them is going to catch some sound but I, I think it's illogical I'm probably way in the clear all right I do have one of those microphone arms that is supposed to kind of protect from any uh jiggling of the desk causing any uh, oh. feedback into the microphone and stuff like that so you've got a shock absorber for the microphone yes. yeah right right i love it anyways that's our recording setups uh, maybe we'll post <laughs> pictures at some point but uh yeah my my microphone arm is now on the other side of my desk and so i'm just kind of getting used to oh. swinging it around the other way and uh it's i don't know some little things you get used to after a while it just feels different to change yeah that would mess me up for sure for at least a couple of weeks and then i'd you know it'd be muscle memory again let's go ahead and get uh started with the show and some video game pitches you're going first this week what are you bringing us okay my ambitious but low confidence pitch this week is i'm thinking about a game where we the player are taking on the role of a data courier i know i pitched a johnny mnemonic game recently this is a little bit different Mm -hmm. in it that Maybe it's an open-ish world. Um, maybe it's a little bit more linear, but the the general idea is you are going to talking to people, getting quests to obtain data. Um, maybe it's cyberpunk, maybe it isn't some some piece of information, but the resource that you're gathering is draining or waning in the case of data. It's corrupting on your way back. So as you kind of make your way to the location you're kind of setting yourself up for needing to plan back the most efficient, optimal route on your way back in order to lose the least amount of data possible. And maybe that's time-based. Maybe it's uh, there's kind of jostling mechanics or that sort of thing. I like the idea of as you kind of deliver this data to people in the world that different plot points or different sorts of uh, things are revealed to you. Very interesting, going and uh, starting the clock. You know, last week we spoke about uh, SteamWorld Dig, and one of the things that makes that game and that series really, um, probably in particular the first game of the two, stand out to me is that um, it has a very like interesting, you are primarily kind of drilling down into the ground, mining, you know, it's kind of a block-based, it's kind of like Dig, dig Dug, 
<laughs> in that you're mm-hmm. drilling down into the ground and removing these blocks of dirt and rock. After a while, you know, your pockets fill up with, with minerals and stuff like that, and you have to return to the surface by, you know, pretty standard platformery controls jumping back up the route that you made. And so on your way down, you have to kind of keep in mind what type of route you're setting for yourself on the way back up. (laughs) Yeah. You literally get to live with your own choices. (laughs) So they were made in haste. So it's, it's a really interesting mechanic because, you know, you have to think about not only what is the most advantageous route for you on the way down to collect the most minerals. Sometimes you're put under a kind of time pressure as maybe enemies are closing in on you and you just want to, you know, get out of their way and you end up building um, kind of pitfalls or something that is going to be really difficult to platform up. I don't know if you can ever get yourself to a unwinnable state of uh, being completely trapped down below, but um, it's an interesting, interesting mechanic. I mean, Minecraft is kind of similar. You have to kind of think about your entrance and exit to the mine. And of course, if your your pickaxe ever breaks down in the mines mm-hmm. and you don't have the materials to build another, then, you know, you really have to follow your original route back up or you might be stuck down there. Uh, so I, I do like this idea of having to kind of retrace steps or something like that, or, or maybe shortcuts that you take on your way to an objective costing you on the way back. Um, but the idea of kind of translating that into data is interesting. I wonder if there's a way to represent the data that's being lost and maybe be able to fill it with like parody data or oh. or similar enough data from your environment. Like if you're losing, if there's kind of like almost like a Mad Lib, like if you're losing, if you lost a verb from your data, if you lost a noun from your data, if you lost something very specific, then you can look around your environment maybe take a snapshot of something around you and then that will fill its place. And then as you get back, you can see whether or not your data still kind of holds together. I was trying to think, um, I kind of had this moment in my head. I was like, am I just writing down death stranding right now? Yeah. I think the, that, that data angle could be, or as a Star Trek TNG fan, I guess I would say data, that data angle Mm -hmm. is, uh, is interesting to me. And maybe there's a mechanic where you first, like as you pick up the data or before you pick up the data, you can kind of uh, read it. You can see mm-hmm. it in some way, view it as pieces of it get corrupted. Like, and maybe the blocks that are corrupted are seemingly at random. There are all these little short stories. And um, as you deliver to someone, the pieces that are missing because of maybe some poor platforming or some misjumps or that sort of thing, the person just kind of asks you like, well, do you remember what that part <laughs> was about? And you kind of have to go through a dialogue sequence of trying your best to uh, to remember or piece together what the story was. That's interesting. I don't really like when games do that because... It's, um, you, if they don't it, tell it you, feels you like have a to real remember. disconnect between the player and the character. You know, the character is being put on the spot by somebody else within the game world asking if they remember something, whereas the player has access to screenshots and notes they would have taken. Like it just, you know, right. if there is like a real mental task that the player has to perform, like it feels better when 
we're really kind of on step with the character. You know, it doesn't create this kind of false separation. <laughs> what if the, if the mechanic was less about like rote memorization and a little bit more like the uh, the more jumps you take or the longer the journey? I don't necessarily want to make it based off length, but rather some sort of skill based mechanic and platforming. Every hard landing fragments the data in some way, and then you mm-hmm. have to kind of make sure it gets put back together before or in the proper order before you make the delivery. And so you run into a scenario where you could between every single, if you want to play very cautious between every single like mini platforming challenge or or, or sort of navigation challenge, you're like, okay, well, before I do this, I'm going to go in and rearrange everything and make sure it's in the right order. So it doesn't fragment too bad when I, you know, attempt this. Yeah. And then as you have, um, you know, characters or like, I don't know, police units, security units chasing after you, then of course, you know, that's a nice way to kind of quantify bullet damage and stuff like that. Like that feels like a elegant system to represent health in the way that isn't the, it's kind of the standard, you know, you die and have to start over again. Yeah. And I, I do like the idea of if you kind of go through something too hastily that you find yourself really having to piece together a, a, a real mess. And maybe there's uh, objects within the environment, magnets and uh, security, you know, metal detectors, stuff like that, that will scramble data and you have to kind of avoid, you know, I've been playing a bit of a watchdogs legion And as you're trying to escape from the cops, there are occasionally kind of checkpoints that are set up along the road. And if you go through those, then it'll detect that, you know, you're a wanted person. Um, Then, you know, the cops will become aware of where you are if you're in the process of escaping them, Grand Theft Auto style. And so it's kind of another interesting challenge of like, you're going down a road, you're trying to find a place to hide, but the road that you're on has one of those it's kind of a holographic blocker. So it's not a wall. You can still drive through it at full speed. And sometimes doing that is the best way to escape people behind you. But it's also kind of a information, like it resets the cooldown in a way. And so, you know, interesting choices there. Do I go for it and retain my momentum or do I, do I try to evade, you know, all detection, try to keep my uh, try to keep the cool down as low as possible and um, and just try to tr- find a place to hide, maybe double back my steps with risk of the police that are behind me catching me or quickly sl- uh, swerve down an alleyway, not knowing how easy it's going to be to navigate. Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, it's more interesting than just like a solid wall. Yeah. And as you kind of look through the environment or the path back, you could have the player make those choices of like, look, you could walk casually through this this gateway checkpoint thing but that will just do a certain amount of damage to the information or um, you could potentially take no damage but take a more difficult route yeah that's right Um, so there would be a presumably a timing mechanic as well or would this be more of a meditative get there whenever you feel like it death stranding type of experience I'm trying to think about like, would there be one last twist about the data? Is it like a slidey puzzle? Is it a jigsaw puzzle? Is it a simply, I always remember, (laughs) this is a weird, weird thing, but I do remember being like a little kid 
and doing the defragment on old like Windows 95, 98 computers. Did you yeah. do this when you were? Yeah, yeah. I I'm would kind of, watch it. It's weird that it doesn't really exist anymore. <laughs> right. Did, did, did computers stop getting fragmented? Did they figure that out or are they doing it? And <laughs> I don't have any recourse. Yeah. yeah, it must. Right. Um, it would make sense that it would just do it in the background at like 2 a.m., right? But yeah, in, in that scenario, I wonder if there's like... I always imagined that as a type of Tetris game or something in my head as like blocks yeah, of data yeah. were rearranged and stacked neatly. I, I loved the idea that every bit and byte had its place. Or you can run like a Wilmot's Warehouse type of setup or a Tetris type of setup using like an a, the other thumbstick or something. So, you know... No pressure if you don't want to engage with it, but the more tightly packed relevant data is with one another, mm. the better it's going to stay together. And so as you're doing your platforming, then, uh, you know, you can prepare for the worst by doing better at this puzzle game, or you yeah. can leave it to chance and uh, try to take safer routes back. That's cool. You can kind of reinforce it with your own logistics skills. And that, that actually now rewards different like styles of yeah. play, which is cool. That's cool. We're out of time on that one. What are we going to, to name it? I, my, my first name is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> what if we call, should we just call this thing defrag or what? Defrag is kind of fun. And especially if the, if the character is like evading like a grenade on the cover. Oh yeah. One fun. of the uh, like cyber police behind him. I love, oh, it's a data grenade that they lob at you. If you get caught <laughs> in it, it'll really mess up. All right. That's our first pitch for today. Let's go to my pitch now. Um, similarly, I've got kind of a Tetris inspiration. So it's like Tetris without line clears. So players take turns stacking oddly shaped objects in the space, and the player who's forced to go above a certain line or height loses. Basically, you want to force your opponent to exceed the, like, I don't know whether you're spilling over the side of a container or whether you are just kind of building a mountain of garbage and then the one who reaches you know this this kind of line at the top loses maybe there's alternate scenarios where you don't want to be the one that topple this topples the tower like jenga or you don't want to be the one who or maybe you do want to be the one who reaches a certain height but kind of a competitive weird shape stacking game starting the clock so the mechanics are that I I do want to stack up, but I don't want it to fall. Or what, what was the line that I'm not supposed to cross? In, in kind of the, in my original pitch, it's um there's kind of a certain height, and you want you want your opponent to be the one that crosses that line, and so you want to do whatever you can to basically force. It's like the uh, hands on the uh, the baseball bat you know, thing to determine who bats first, you know, how they stack their hands oh. and the person who's on top is either the winner or the loser. I don't know how that works, actually. <laughs> got it. So maybe there's a mechanic where I can, got it. it, it almost makes me think of that old <sighs> arcade. There's a machine that you see in many arcades where you kind of like put a quarter in or something and, it, and maybe it pushes yeah, other yeah. quarters over the edge. I'm thinking now that I would like strategically stack things to kind of force a section or an area of the pile to collapse or shift down just so my my last piece of, of trash doesn't end up above this line. And I could think that, you know, there could be maybe different modes. One that's kind of physics-based, and so there is the possibility for a tower collapse, and maybe some are more kind of Tetris-y, 
where you can stack, you know, and you have all sorts of weird shaped blocks that are jutting off in different directions. And, um, and you know, however they attach to the other blocks, like that's where they're permanently stuck. So, you know, it's, um, and, and maybe you also have kind of like a, uh, like a hand, like a hand of cards, like a hand of cards of blocks, and you can choose which blocks to play and win. Some of them are very large and cumbersome. Some of them are very small and easy to fit into various slots. And so it's about juking your opponent into playing their most useful blocks early and kind of forcing them into unwinnable positions. I I, I don't know if this is kind of something that you were thinking about, but the uh, one of my favorite card games is Uno. Just the simplicity of it is so pure to me. And I, I, I do love, you know, a four plus player game of Uno where people are throwing down skips and draw twos and all that stuff. And I'm wondering if there's like a, a bit of a, a trash fire mechanic or like a controlled burn. Um, sometimes you see these in match three games of they'll burn like a few cells adjacent to them in either direction, almost mm. Bomberman style. And if you could kind of, convince someone to to sort of use those resources earlier and take away their ability to con- kind of control it later on in the match. Yeah, yeah, some of these um some of these blocks that are in your hand might have these kind of interesting effects that could uh throw the match in one way or another and maybe you don't have visibility into what your uh, opponent has maybe for online matches maybe you know couch matches you you would have that visibility and maybe the rules would be kind of slightly tweaked to accommodate that. Yeah. And then, and then, and then the mind game begins, right? Uh, how do I get them to use this thing? What else? I'm thinking about the, the mechanic of not crossing the line. And I'm wondering if there's any sort of world events or something that could happen to the board that, uh, you know, like an, an earthquake coming down and forcing trash to sort of settle or fill gaps. Or I'm wondering if, um, if I stack these blocks in such a way that there is a gap, like Tetris style, I wonder if stacking enough trash on top of that eventually forces a, a compression mechanic or something where previous blocks get like halved um, under enough weight of a, of a certain type. Yeah, we've talked about a game called Trash Panic, I think it was, on PS3, which is a... Um, kind of a block stacking puzzle game, single player though, in this case, uh, where you're basically trying to fill up a trash can with all sorts of different kind of garbage that it sends your way and, uh, weight and density and stuff like that was factored into it in that, you know, if you have a large heavy item, then you can, you know, do a quick drop to, crush things beneath it. And that was one of the kind of core strategies that you would use to to try to compact the uh, garbage you were working with. But if you miscalculated, if the item wasn't as heavy as you thought it was or not heavy enough to break the object, or, you know, maybe it wasn't dropped from high enough, then, you know, you were kind of stuck in a position where maybe the stuff underneath that you were hoping would break didn't break. And now you're large piece of garbage is stuck at a bad angle and is kind of blocking a large portion of the trash can that you needed to, you know, to fill up efficiently. Is there a, 
something like this, and I, and I feel like this is something that, that Jenga doesn't attempt to do, but maybe could in some ways. There's like, there's that, that occurrence of like some board games have spun off speed versions of themselves. And I'm wondering if there's a bit of a shot clock mechanic so that somebody maybe makes a, a hastier decision than they would otherwise. That's fun. You could do a, maybe you could do a like, almost like a game of horse. Like each turn has to be as short or shorter than the previous turn. And then it resets every time somebody takes longer and then there's some sort of a penalty. I'm just realizing I sent you this text message of a walnut. (laughs) So you can ignore that. That was for my wife. (laughs) We were talking about walnuts today. Um, The... And how weird they look. The 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 idea of the shot clock or having to speed up and something like that is, I think, something that would be interesting is like, you, you know, that Mario butt stomp sort of feeling of, I know we've had pitched a game about that before, but like the ability to force compression in an area or to, to place something that otherwise, maybe the material of your blocks is not exposed um, maybe it's all silhouetted out and instead like, you know, the material, you know, the player's material, but you kind of have to discover what the material is. It's almost like Stratego or something. You can't really tell what the piece is until, you know, you kind of come up against it. Yeah. Once you see a player like play something that would otherwise be over the line and then, um, it compresses a bunch of blocks. You're like, oh, that must be steel. And you, there's only, you know, three steel, mm blocks in any given deck or something like that it's interesting as well so it's not always playing with kind of the full full set of information um maybe there's also blocks that you can kind of like manipulate in ways like if we're thinking about a game like mount your friends where these are kind of people that are climbing up and then the pose that you kind of lock them into at the end when you end your move um, is the pose that they are kind of stuck within, but you know, they're on their way up before they turn into essentially just like a solid part of the mountain. They are people with arms and legs that can move all about. And, uh, and so, you know, they have a certain amount of flexibility to reshape the, um, the mountain before they become kind of a solidified part of it. So I have the ability to alter it before it gets locked in, potentially? Yeah, maybe. So Magic the Gathering does have this mechanic of a certain type of card called an instant can be cast on at any point, my turn or the opponent's turn. And so having like that mechanic in this, maybe there's kind of, while somebody's taking their turn and they're, you know, able to place three blocks or something like that very methodically in between blocks one and two, you come in with your sort of instant block and, um, you know, either fill up a gap that you knew that they were planning on taking advantage of and leaving them with no other options or something like that. So if you save your instances until late, you can kind of uh, ensure that you are the last hand on the bat, if you will. Let's go ahead and stop that one there and let's give it a name. My God, I feel like I'm bringing the wrong energy to this episode, but boy, oh boy, trash fire is... (laughs) (laughs) Trashfire is kind of fun. Uh, that one, uh, I think, brings a, uh, a very positive and very competitive energy to it. <laughs> if we come up with a trifecta of crazy names like this, this episode, Trashfire and Defrag are going to be two very... <laughs> this is going to be a good episode title. Let's go over to our community. 
We have a pitch from the always reliable Micah Squera, who says, Quick pitch, a Star Wars VR game where you play a blind Jedi who sees through the Force. All right, starting the clock. This so, is cool. There should be more VR games about being blind, you know? Like you're in a sensory deprivation chamber, essentially, for your eyes exclusively. Right. Um, you know, you have this big dark band around your face. Like obviously, you know, it would feel like it might be kind of under delivering its core selling point, but uh, why not? Why not ex- experiment with it? You know, like what what could we do? Because obviously we can't give the player that many sensations. We have vibration and controllers. We have the sound, but um, I, we, we'd probably have to represent this visually somehow. Like, what could we do to emulate seeing through the force? I mean, first out the gate, one of the things that I was surprised by when I had first tried an Oculus was not just the the sort of what I was seeing, but what I was hearing. Like, it felt like mm-hmm. the first time directional audio really meant, really, really meant something because it was actually connected to my head movements rather than, yeah. you know, um, navigating a camera around. And so... I, I definitely think sound is a big part of this game. And I, you know, I, I know I'm a Jedi. Maybe there's something, the Star Wars equivalent of the walking stick, right? But um, the idea that you can kind of tap, 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 tap and feel different vibrations and sensations or heck, maybe it's even you're able to kind of deploy your lightsaber. And when you deploy your lightsaber, it is... It is of a light and a frequency that can kind of burn through and still make it into your vision. So the lightsaber is a way to, you can kind of detect when it's being obscured by something, but you want to be very careful, right? You don't want to potentially hurt anybody. That is interesting, actually. Uh, You know, when I think about a blind protagonist, like my mind goes to Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, Toph the extremely... I've never uh, seen that show. Is that character blind? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, but she's a, a terrific martial artist and uh, and a terrific earthbender. And it's it's interesting because she essentially sees through her bending. And so, you know, as an earthbender, she's, uh, she walks around barefoot and can sense vibrations in the ground. And it's kind of depicted whenever they need to visually represent it within the show as, you know, the world goes black and white the you know detail is stripped from the world and you can see these kind of like rings radiating from her feet and detecting the people and the movement and the stuff around her and so that would actually be a really interesting conceit is maybe it's not star wars maybe it's kind of like a you know like a kung fu monk type of setting and you have like a walking stick or like a you know like a full-on bow staff or something in your hand that you can you can tap on the ground and when you tap it then you get like an echo echolocation little glimpse of the world around you and um and then that is also your weapon that you can use to kind of bash people that are coming at you so you have to kind of take this alternating rhythm of tapping it on a solid object in your environment to create these kind of echolocation waves so that you can actually see what's going on and, you know, using it as a weapon to either bash enemies or solve puzzles, um, all through just kind of like movements you would make, uh, where you would be tapping would 
change depending on where you're standing in the environment. So it's all very reactive. It's all stuff you would have to really consider as you go. That's interesting. And that that kind of, the idea of blind combat, right? We've played, um, gosh, Kenshi in Mortal Kombat as a canonically blind character. And, you know, but of course we're seeing, you know, we're a total third party in that. We're seeing his whole body. We're seeing the opponent's whole body. Like functionally, the player is not blind, but having to rely on and 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 there's something about there's something Star Warsian in this. Having to rely on sound and anticipation, and gosh, I, you could almost use um, like a force push or something as an echo location type of thing. I, I know there was that game a couple years ago. It seemed like it was. Um, we've referenced it before. It's kind of all black, but there is like sort of pulsing sounds in the environment that kind of light things up. Would this be um, Scanner Sombre? Potentially. I thought it was called something Sight. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but the... There's, the uh, I- there's a game called Beyond Eyes where you're playing a blind girl in a like all-white environment and she can see things around her based on the noise that they make. That sounds... Yeah, I think that sounds something like it. I, I I think that 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 one was more of third person, right? There's like some right, color yeah. to it. This one I'm thinking is like kind of monotone, but yeah. Either way, the idea of like some something, some frequency, some spectrum is able to pierce your vision, and so what what you have is an environment that you mostly can't see, but maybe it is just the bare minimum amount of non-specific information so that there is a way to get your bearings because i could see like just being totally blind in vr could actually make you quite sick um potentially Mm -hmm. (laughs) something that kind of anchors you in the scene but then everything else you have to infer from its relevant location sound wise or uh, you know light obfuscation wise to that original emanation like life force in a way you know and this would work either as kind of a kung fu buddhist monk or as a jedi knight where you get these kind of like hazy shapes of and you you can't tell yourself whether they are birds or animals or people or plant life and so there is kind of a you know rough hazy outline of the environment to some extent not enough to accurately navigate based on and not enough to you know get the information you need to properly fight somebody but you can if nothing else you can really you can use that sense to do some level of navigation and some level of like just you know positioning yourself in the world and then kind of tapping your your um your cane is your way of kind of really kind of restoring the detail that you need to do all the proper platforming and uh and fighting. I think that that's getting to it. And you know what you just reminded me of is Obra Din, and the way that yeah. uh, you you end up like you can't really make out the characters necessarily. So you're kind of uh, going on voices, and you know maybe if these people are alive and in your environment, you can hear voices and, and mannerisms, or maybe just mannerisms or, or something like that. But like you you would have some faculty to go from really cold, not understanding who's around you, what's going on to knowing who each of those characters are. Um, and you know, in a, in a combat scenario, right? Like maybe one of these enemies is really, really 
sort of deceitful. And so they, they put an innocent person in your way and you have to, you know, before you make your attack, really look at this person and be like, I, I just see something in the mannerisms or the height or the something that suggests yeah. it is not the person I'm, I'm, I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always had a little bit of like nearsightedness and it takes me a while to really recognize somebody's face if they're approaching from far away. And so I, especially in college where you're walking across large campuses with, you know, large empty spaces with lots of people that you might potentially know, like you, I learned to identify people by the way that they walk more than by, you know, their faces because you'd have to get pretty close to really be able to like recognize somebody substantially in that way. Um, so I, I, I think that's interesting, like being able to recognize somebody based on the animations of, uh, movements rather than the kind of specificity of, uh, a voice or face. Um, that's, uh, that's all the time that we have on that one on uh, Micah Square's idea. Let's give it a name. The game I was thinking about, by the way, I think it's called perception. Okay. I don't know if I know that one. Yeah, it looks like it was not <laughs> successful. I mean, it's too bad we had like the Force Unleashed because this is really the first Force game, at least in the you know true true uh, definition of what the Force is. It's this you know energy that surrounds us and binds us and all that sort of stuff. It could be called Blind Rage, Blind Fury. Is that a term? Blind Rage certainly is. Blind Fury. I think that was a game, wasn't it? <laughs> could, I'm gonna Google it. Could very well be. Doesn't sound familiar to me. It's a 1989 American action film. Um, so that's a good start. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, okay. I'll have to what just send you this graphic. I wish I could. The cover to this movie is a man smiling with a walking stick and many, many people who he seems to have disarmed with guns uh, surrounding him. Blind Fury. I think Blind Fury sounds better than Blind Rage to me. To be the official video game adaptation of the movie. <laughs> well, the I just... The first video game adaptation without actually having seen the movie first. I'll have to put this in the, the show post uh, on the website, but can I just dropped it in our Discord. Can you believe this cover? I mean, also, See uh, No Evil is kind of a fun... I mean, obviously, that goes oh. back to a... Uh, famous uh, Gene Wilder movie title as well, but um, well, we just got Sifu right announced at this Sony PlayStation thing, so maybe we we have Sino is the name of the character, or this could be like S E E F U, you know, Sifu <laughs> like Kung Fu, blind Kung Fu, Sifu them by technicality of their copyright. Boom! You just got sniped by playwright. <laughs> pretty funny well um they have some good titles in there uh thank you mike Asquera, for sending in another great video game pitch we're taking it in different directions but um i uh i hope you'll be uh pleased with how that ended up coming out and if you would like to send in a video game pitch of your own you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch you can tweet us at playwrightcast or you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com Special thank you to Proto Doe for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album, Blue Noise. It's a wonderful thing to listen to alongside wonderful shows on the Canon Rinse Network, like Canon Rinse, like Sound of Play, like 
the Sausage Factory, and there's been a couple of a uh, couple of good extras on there. There's a Why We Game article right now on Canon Rents, which yeah. does not uh, not slot into any of the podcasts, and and certainly it's a great read, and and, and it doesn't take an hour to read, just <laughs> like uh, like many of the shows take. Well, certainly we have uh, lots of written stuff on the website as well. The website is worth checking out. Um, if, uh, if you only know Kane Rince for the podcasting, um, before we move into our final feature, uh, I guess it's, uh, probably time to bring up this topic just so that people have enough time to think about, uh, video game pitches that they want to send in before, uh, yes. well, <laughs> I guess we should just say like, you know, we've been doing this show for, what has it been? Three years, four years? Yeah, nearly like four years. Yeah, something like nearly that. Nearly four years now. And um, at our fourth year, we will not be necessarily shutting the show down, but um, kind of ceasing from the weekly cadence. Um, you know, it's uh, not a topical show. And so, you know, it's not something that refreshes with the news every week. Um, it's a show that is just kind of an outpouring of uh, creativity and um, storytelling and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, I think we we got to a point where we still, you know, obviously enjoy doing this, but, um, you know, there might be kind of maybe diminishing returns in the <laughs> utility of producing hundreds more of these, whereas you know, even we who have, <laughs> have recorded and edited all of these, uh, very often forget our early pitches and, uh, would be just as surprised as new listeners to go back to the early episodes and uh, <laughs> listen to them now. And it's so very strange that, to think about. <laughs> yeah. In that sense, you know, it, it feels like people who are just getting into it, um, there's no reason necessarily why they would have to follow, each week's new release versus diving into the back catalog and um, kind of be that the case, you know, there's, it feels like the back catalog really kind of speaks for itself and can support itself at this point. So, I mean, you and I talked about it and that feeling, which is an incredible feeling because I've, I've only in my past done more topical based shows Mm -hmm. and that idea of, you know, episode one, episode five and episode, you know, 200 all contain something unique and something original and something that has value then now and in the future is kind of, kind of wild when, when we really thought about it. And also something that we felt confident saying, Hey, you know, this, uh, are we, are, are we the snake eating its own tail um, <laughs> at some point as we return to old ideas? And yeah, I don't know, you know, what will the new schedule look like, but I think we both are kind of in agreement of it's some combination of everybody. Hey, you're still welcome to, you know, as we start winding down uh, regular episodes, please still write in. If we get a big backlog of stuff, we'll spring up and do an episode and, and just talk about listener pitches or as I'm sure, you know, new games are announced all the time and we might be struck and maybe we come back and just do, you know, one pitch and it's a short episode and we're out or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that there's room for the show to, to sustain. And then there's also, I think it is still a complete thought, even if it, uh, if we don't pursue it in a, in a regular basis. 
Yeah. So, you know, stay subscribed to the feed. Um, we're, you know, we'll probably hop on maybe once every couple months or something to record something new, just because we had kind of an influx of new (laughs) ideas and we want a place to share them or to work them out. Um, and so, you know, it's just, uh, well, you'll definitely hear from us again. Uh, but it just wouldn't be kind of under the regular release schedule. And, um, anyone who, who subscribed to this during the run of the show, we'd encourage you to, um, you know, if you're missing the weekly releases, just, uh, go back to episode one, start listening (laughs) there. You might even lap yourself and find that you, uh, find that the episode that you started on is now like listening to it again with fresh ears. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're very proud of the work that we do, that we've done here. We're not doing this because it's become unfun or because we've (laughs) run out of ideas. Um, honestly, that probably happened around episode 15, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, no, it's, we've had a, a tremendous time doing this. We've uh, really, really enjoyed all of the community correspondence. Um, if we receive a large amount of community correspondence between now and mid-June, which is when we would be uh, kind of wrapping this all up around the fourth anniversary of the show, then uh, you know maybe the last show can be like an extra long all-listener pitches special. We can blitz through everything that we have left in our inbox. You know, maybe, uh, and yeah, dare again, we tempt fate and have people do audio, send in your audio pitches. Hey, whatever you want to send in, we <laughs> will find a way to incorporate into the show somehow. Um, and then even after the show kind of, you know, closes its doors a little bit, feel free to keep sending stuff in. Maybe it becomes uh, again, a clubhouse show in the future age. Who knows what's happening? It's not that the, that the playwright game is ending. It's just that, uh, we will be kind of turning a new leaf in mid-June. Uh, we'll talk about it more as we get closer to it, but for now, um, we just want to kind of put that on the radar that the show is uh, going to be kind of changing course, changing form, not going away. We'll probably upload the uh, episodes to YouTube for easier listening, and um, you know, we'll, we'll find ways to continue to, to make Playwright fresh going forward, but um, yeah, for now... I think we've uh, I think we've done a good job. We're very happy with the show that we've created, and uh, we've got another three months or so to punch out the reliable episodes that uh, <laughs> that that we've been doing over the past almost four years, um, almost without missing a week. We've been <laughs> we've been very very reliable. We've created a uh, a huge number of podcasts over that time, and. Um, yeah. Do you think really uh, in our last episode when Bob Newhart wakes up and realizes he's been on the other show the whole time that that fans will finally see the connective universe and how we're we're technically part of the MCU, we're technically part of all of these sorts of large franchises and people just haven't known it the whole time. What's our goal? We have to get uh, Chris Evans on. <laughs> yeah, if anyone yeah. knows him and can drop him an email. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a listener for sure, so... <laughs> Uh, anyways, with that said, uh, you know, let's, let's not go out with heavy hearts if that's what people are feeling, or maybe it's elation that they'll have another, uh, they'll have room for another podcast in their lives again. <laughs> um, I'm a habitual listener and I know that there are certain things that, uh, I have to listen to all the way to the end, even though there is other stuff that I want to uh, spend my time engaging with. But, um, anyways, 
Let's go out with a redacted game. I believe that it is your turn to try and stump me. Here we go. <clears throat> redacted has kidnapped the redacted. Can redacted rescue his friends, reclaim the redacted, and save his homeland from certain doom? Take out some redacted with redacted's redacted. Sorry, you're assigning him for a lot of these. Oh, sorry, with redacted's redacted launcher or redacted's redacted. Float through the air using redacted's redacted, even rocket to the sky with redacted's redacted. Okay. Um, the first half of this sounded a lot like like one of those classic beat em ups, like a double dragon or a Streets of Rage or a. Uh, it's kind of shocking how many video game storylines hinge on a kidnap. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think about it, I mean, even Mario games are about <laughs> kidnappings. So it sounds like there are multiple characters, each with different abilities. And it sounds like it sounds like a certain kind of mobility around the levels are some of the big selling points of this multi-character uh, game. I mean, uh, I'm not going to throw the, uh, you too much, but nobody ever said the word levels. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> Some sort of a game space anyways. Yes. Uh, so, sorry to, to do this twice in a row here, but like, could I have you read the description again? Let me pull up the redacted version or else I'm going to slip. I'll see if you're lying or telling the truth. <laughs> redacted has kidnapped the redacted. Can redacted rescue his friends, reclaim the redacted, and save his homeland from certain doom? Take out some redacted with redacted's redacted launcher, or redacted's redacted. Float through the air using redacted's redacted, even rocket to the sky with redacted's redacted. Lots of exclamation points in this. <laughs> All right, first guess. Is this a Ninja Turtles game? This is not a Ninja Turtles game. Fair enough. That would have been a pretty solid first guess. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, yeah. All right. Uh, what kind of metadata can I have on this? I, I feel like, um, and this is even a hint of itself, I feel like if I said the platform, it would give it away. But okay. it is the number three best game of its platform of 1999. The number two most discussed game of its platform of 1999 and the number one most shared game of its platform of 1999. Man, it's oh, very interesting. It's a, it is two, two or three years too late to be Banjo-Kazooie, which I feel like all of those verbs could fit pretty well. 1999 was the year of... Isn't that interesting? The... <laughs> just your, what you just said, isn't that interesting, is all I can think. <laughs> okay, um, so... 1999 was the year of the Nintendo 64. The Dreamcast was brand new at this time. PlayStation 1 was still going strong. Not quite the era of the PlayStation 2 just yet, I believe. I think that was still a year or two off. All right. But we're in early 3D-ish territory for sure. Okay. Multi-character with different abilities about traversing, I'm going to presume, three-dimensional spaces. Let's see. Would this... Would this be the type of game, and again, I'm sorry to throw out these kind of like <laughs> genre types of things, but would this theoretically be the type of game that would uh, encourage the player to put their hands together if they want to clap? <laughs> would this be the type? 
are you saying is clapping a mechanic in the game? I mean, would it very explicitly tell you to, if you want to clap, um, <laughs> along with some sort of a, I don't know, some sort of a song, then yeah. uh, you would want to put your hands together, theoretically. I, I would say that uh, clappable music is definitely part of its oeuvre. <laughs> All right. Hmm. Boy, this really, this really opens it up. <laughs> you son of a bee. <laughs> um, oh, would, uh, would any of the characters have um, be described as um, maybe <laughs> inflating themselves like a, I don't know, some sort of inflatable, I can't really think of a great example, but um, maybe like a balloon. Oh, you know, I don't. I, I genuinely it would be don't just know. like a balloon, if anything. I maybe I genuinely don't know. <laughs> OK, um, the worst. Then uh, would this be the 64th entry in the long running Donkey Kong series? <laughs> this would be. Yes, yes. Well, technically, they <laughs> skipped a couple, but uh... they did skip a few. Yeah, but we have to <laughs> uh, we have to rely upon the. Um, the intention of the artists when it comes to <laughs> the numerology of their series. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think there was some confusion because the original Donkey Kong did come out in 1964. So they had to put Donkey <laughs> Kong 64 and then in parentheses, 1999. That's my thing. Whenever we get to, uh, to 2064 to see what the Madden series does, <laughs> if they're still naming it after a long dead man at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a faded from memory. All right. Well, obviously Donkey Kong 64, well done. At least let me take this time to say K rule has kidnapped the Kongs can Donkey Kong rescue his friends, reclaim the golden bananas and save his homeland from certain doom. Take out some Kremlings with Chunky's pineapple launcher or Lanky's <laughs> trombone float through the air using Tiny's ponytail twirl, even rocket to the sky with Diddy's jet barrel. But yeah, you said Banjo Kazooie. I was like, well, we've got, Check mark for rare, check mark for <laughs> the era um, and uh, the style of game. Who turned into a balloon in this game? Well, that was a uh, Lanky Kong could inflate himself just like a balloon. <laughs> God. And, I have um, absolutely no memories that, of Donkey Kong that Crazy Kong in particular uh, really digs the tune. <laughs> And and you know what? I need to stop employing this strategy before the the show end, you know, ends because if I keep doing things that I know you would be embarrassed to get wrong, then you're <laughs> going to keep getting them right. Could be. I mean, you might get the <laughs> ultimate stumper one of these days. Yes, that's my dream. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you again next week. Bye. <laughs>